As you're getting seated, let me invite you to pull out your Bible this morning and open to Romans. I am joined up here by, this is Young Chu, and he is a member of our church with his wife, Sung Chu, and he's going to help me with the scripture reading. And I thought it'd be neat to tell you just a little bit about his story. Um, he and his wife fled North Korea as children and, and spent their kind of their junior high, high school days in Seoul, and then they immigrated to the United States in the late 60s and lived here, raised their family here, and when they retired, they went out on the mission field, and for five years, they served in China doing student ministry with college students, and then they did two and a half more years in Korea, working with college students in Korea, and so you honor us by helping us with the scripture reading. Can we say good morning to Young Ju and welcome him? And... Uh, how we'll do this this morning is, uh, you can, if you want, you can have your Bible open, Romans 5, we're going to read verses 5 through 11, and we'll share this. I'm going to read a verse, and then, and then he will read it in Korean in his native tongue, and that way you'll get to see. And you can listen, uh, he, uh, this morning I learned that in Korean, uh, Christ is Christo, and Jesus is Yesu. Yes, correct. That's correct. Thank you. Good. So here we go, Romans 5, starting in verse... Five, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. 소망이 우리를 부끄럽게 하지 아니하면 우리에게 주신 성령으로 말미암아 하나님의 사랑이 우리의 마음에 부음바되미니 For while we were still weak at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. 우리가 아직 연약할 때에 기약대로 그리스도께서 경건하지 않은 자를 위하여 죽으셨도다. For one will hardly die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. 의인을 위하여 죽는 자가 쉽지 않고 선인을 위하여 용감히 죽는 자가 혹 있거니와. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 우리가 아직 죄인되었을 때에 그리스도께서 우리를 위하여 죽으심으로 하나님께서 우리에 대한 자기의 사랑을 확증하셨느니라. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. 그러면 이제 우리가 그의 피로 말미암아 의롭다 하심을 받았으니 더욱 그로 말미암아 진노하심에서 구원을 받을 것이니 For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life 곧 우리가 원수 되었을 때에 그의 아들의 죽으심으로 말미암아 하나님과 화목하게 되었은즉 화목하게 된 자로서는 더욱 그의 살아나심으로 말미암아 구원을 받을 것이니라. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. 그뿐 아니라 이제 우리로 화목하게 하신 우리 주 예수 그리스도로 말미암아 하나님 안에서 또한 즐거워하느니라. 
Amen. Thanks be to God. Can we say thank you to Young Chu? Thank you. Awesome, good. Well, pull out those Bibles. Okay, here's what I'm going to do this morning before I get started. I, I'm going to share with you a little warning today. And the warning is this. Try to stay with me today through the entire sermon, all right? All the way to the end. You're like, what are you talking about? I do that every Sunday. Yeah, right. Because I know, so here's the thing this morning, here's the thing. This text, and you've probably already seen it, Paul is building an argument, sort of principle by principle by principle, and if you're not careful, and I know this is sometimes what happens when you're hearing a sermon, you'll latch on to something maybe at the beginning or maybe in the middle, or maybe you sort of fall asleep for a while, and then you wake up and you get the five minutes at the end, and you're like, that was amazing. I can see that from up here, by the way, just so you know. I know when that happens, okay? And you, you'll, and, but the problem is you're going to miss how all of these concepts get held together in Paul's logic. And you might actually leave with the wrong conclusion. So what I'm going to talk about this morning might be a little bit different than what you've heard taught before in church. And so I'm going to invite the ushers forward now. If you do need a Bible, raise your hand. They're coming forward. And Romans 5 is where we're going to go. I want to talk to you this morning about Christian confidence. Okay? Christian confidence, not just confidence, because there's lots of different kinds of confidence in our world, and that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking very, I'm emphasizing this word Christian. So I'm not talking about arrogance. There's arrogance in our world. There's ways to be arrogant. There's lots of worldly ways to be confident. But what I'm going to talk about today, and really what Paul is going to drive home from every verse in this passage, is about a kind of confidence that God wants you to have as a follower of Jesus. It's a confidence that is the result of coming to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are the object of God's divine love. And that's what God wants for you this morning. He wants you to know, I love you so much. And what happens is when you, when you come to know that beyond a shadow of a doubt, it stirs up in you this confidence that will allow you to live a life in this world that will be marked by joy. You'll live a life of joy, and you will live a life of impact for the sake of the gospel. But a lot of Christians live with sort of an insecurity. And maybe, maybe, that, maybe that describes more your experience. You're sitting there thinking, I, I don't, do, I, do I live with confidence? Think about the difference. Or, or, or for you do, you, do you live your life with this constant nagging question mark? Sort of an insecurity. I remember the moment when I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that Kathy Williams was totally crazy about me, all right? I knew that moment because she was willing to hold my hand in public, all right? 
on the campus of Willamette University, okay? And I, there was this one moment we'd been dating for about six months, and we were walking through campus, and there we were walking. And what you need to know about Kathy is that Kathy, Mc, Kathy Williams and PDA do not go together, all right? It's PDNA, Public Displays of Non-Affection is more, yeah. And so we were walking through campus, and suddenly I felt her hand reach down, and she grabbed my hand. And we walked through campus, and my chest just went, because nothing gives a guy confidence like holding hands with a woman like Kathy Williams. And there I was, and I knew, oh my gosh, she loves me. And it just filled my heart with confidence. But see, some of you, I wonder, some of you, do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, God loves, God is crazy about me. Is it possible to know? How could you know? Are there ways that you could know God loves me and I don't have a shred of a doubt? Well, if you believe that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul in his writing of Romans, then you, you would need to answer that question, yes, because that's what this text is about. We look at your Bible now. In the passage before us, Paul's going to spell out two primary ways that we come to be sure that God loves us. One of them is internal and subjective. And the second one is external and historical. Okay? There's, there's a subjective proof and there's an objective proof. There's internal and there's external. There's fact and there's feeling. And both of those are necessary. You need both of them. And that's what verse 5, verse 5 is the, is the first one. It's, it's all about this internal experiential knowledge. God loves me deeply. I'm going to read it again to you. And I want you to pay really close attention to what this verse is actually asserting. So you might want to even just look down at your own Bible or I'm going to have it on the screen. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I want you to just look at that verse really closely because this is what the Apostle Paul is teaching. Notice Paul does not say only that God's pouring out his Holy Spirit, that's happening. Neither does Paul only say that God's pouring out his love, which is definitely happening. What Paul is doing in this verse is he's saying the primary purpose of God's Holy Spirit at work in your heart is to convince you that God loves you. That's what God's Holy Spirit does. That's one of his distinctive ministries. He just works in people's hearts to convince you God loves you deeply. A lot of Christians are really confused about the Holy Spirit, you know? They, 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 they live their lives going, wait, wait a minute, what? Is, what does the Holy Spirit do again, though? Like, what's the purpose of the Holy Spirit? Have you ever felt that in your life? I'm not totally sure what the Holy Spirit's doing. Or let me ask the question this way. Think about this question. Don't, don't answer it out loud. Just I want you to think about this with me for just a second. Right now, when, as you're sitting there, 
what are, you, what are you expecting the Holy Spirit to do right now in your life? What are you expecting of him? Some of you, you might say, I didn't even know I was supposed to be expecting the Holy Spirit to do anything. Expecting the Holy Spirit to do something. Yeah, what, even like in this service, in the next 35 minutes, what are you expecting God's spirit to do in your life and in your heart. Because look at this. Paul tells us one of his primary ministries. He answers the question. He says, when you have an experience or you have a moment with the Holy Spirit, this is one of the key characteristics. You become flooded with a sense of God's love for you. Often that, that starts at salvation. That's a salvation moment. But then it often, it continues. You'll have various moments throughout the rest of your Christian life where for some reason, in God's grace, you'll have another moment where you'll just realize the Spirit will just flood your heart with God's love and you'll know it. And so every Christian has some inner experience of God's love. Now, sometimes that experience is really strong. It will, it will overwhelm you. And one of the things that I want you to know is that I have been praying all week that for many of you that would happen today in this service. And I'm gonna invite you to pray that with me. That's what I want more than anything. Just this powerful, powerful experience of the love of God in your heart. I remember having an experience like that before I was here at River West. I worked for Young Life and I was at a Young Life staff retreat and we were sitting in a room together with all of the staff from Oregon, Southwest Washington, and there was some worship happening. And I don't even remember the moment particularly being all that significant. It was, it was a moment that sort of snuck up on me and people were singing and there, was, there were different things happening. And suddenly, just out of nowhere, I just became overwhelmed with the spirit in my heart. And it was like, it, 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 it filleted me. And I, I remember I was so impacted that I slid out of my couch. I was like a slinky that just went... And I just fell. I didn't care what anyone thought in that moment. A lot of times in, in public spaces, I'm sort of aware of what's, I'm always thinking about what's happening around me. And in this moment, it was like the world was, was not even there. I didn't care what anybody thought because I just started weeping. I fell on my knees in that moment. And I just knew I can't explain it, but God loves me so much. Sometimes the experience is like that. But then a lot of times it's just sort of, it happens on a regular basis in small sort of kind, gracious doses. You'll, maybe you'll come to church and sometimes you might not even know it's actually happened until you leave and you realize, oh man, I just had this sense. God loves me so much. And how I pray that that would happen this morning for you. Can I tell you something about verse five? Will you look at it real quick in your Bible? Notice something. Romans five, verse five is not an argument. It is an experience. This is not an argument. And it's not to say that Paul doesn't love arguments. Paul is, 
Paul is like the master of logic. Paul loved apologetics. Paul made argument after argument after argument. But verse 5 is not an argument. This is not the Holy Spirit explaining to a person the love of God. This is the Holy Spirit making that person experience the love of God. Because sometimes an argument is not going to cut it. You actually need to have an experience. Right? Now, this is that moment where some of you, some of you folks who are not really feelers, you're like, wait a minute, Pastor, what are you saying? This sounds like sort of that squishy, experiential, mushy, emotional Christianity, right? I know who you are. You're like, don't talk to me about feelings and mushiness. I want facts. I want catechisms. I want truth claims. I want logic. Okay, great. That's good. That's important. And that's a helpful corrective. But I'm, gonna, I'm not going to let you non-feelers off the hook just yet, okay? Because listen to me. Listen to what I'm up to say to you. Christianity is emotional. Christianity is experiential. Sometimes you do have powerful experiences of God's spirit. And you know what? That's a gift. Because all the arguments in the world can't change a human heart. Your heart can always find a way to talk yourself out of the fact that God loves you. But your heart can't stop the Holy Spirit from pouring out God's love. Amen? Amen? We need both. We need both. On Wednesday, the whole staff prayed for this moment. We prayed for our church. We prayed for you. What if you made Romans 5.5 a part of your prayer life? What if it was something you prayed? God, what if every morning when you woke up, this is, there's lots of verses that you can pray really easily. This is one of them. God, please today, by your spirit, would you just remind me of how much you love me? Love that. Isn't that good? Okay. We look at verse 6. I'm going to show you a really significant word in verse 6. It's a word you, we read over super fast. Look at that word, the very first word. You see that word for? That could, in some of your translations, it might be the word because. That is an incredibly important word. And what that word means, in, it's the Greek word gar, and what it means, it means cause or explanation. And so what that word is doing, it's sitting there right in between verse five and verses six through eight. And it's saying there's a logical connection now between these two verses. God pours out his love in our hearts. And then Paul says four, and now he's going to say something else. So by the way, if you have a translation that doesn't have at the beginning of verse six, either the word for or the word because or something else, get a new translation. Okay. Just get a different translation because that word's really important. And here's what Paul is saying. He's saying this Holy Spirit love pouring in verse five 
is always grounded in factual, historical, very specific content. Christ crucified and Christ risen. That's what the word for means. He's saying, yes, the first part is experiential. God's pouring, God's pouring out love in your heart, but that's always connected to something objective, historical, specific. Because look at verses six through eight. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. Look at this. But God shows or proves or demonstrates his love for us in that while we were sinners, still sinners, Christ died for us. So you see, both of verse 5 and verses 6 through 8 have the same theme. How does God prove to you that he loves you? In verse 5, he proves it by pouring out his spirit and you have an experience of the love of God. In verses 6 through 8, he points you to factual, historical truth. Jesus died on a cross and he rose again. And you can know for certain because of that, you're the object of his love. And we need both. We need both. That's why when I come to church, so when I come to church, the kinds of songs that I love the most are the songs that are like those old gospel hymns that have that really crunchy theology in them. Like the, media, like the kind, after you sing it, you're like, I need to take an hour to digest what I just said. It's like so thick theology. I don't like the songs that are a little bit more like Jesus is my boyfriend, you know, the kind of, the, you know, when you're on the radio and you're like switching dials and you, you come to a station, you're like, I think this is the Christian station, but I'm not totally sure because the song is sort of like, it could be a song to your boyfriend, except at some point they add the name Jesus in the song, you know, it's like, I'm so glad I feel so good about myself. I'm living my best life now. Thank you, Jesus. And I'm like, no, I don't want that. I want like in Christ alone who put on flesh, fullness of God and helpless babe. And I'm like chewing on it. And then my heart gets flooded. Oh my gosh, God loves me. Amen. Amen. I remember sitting out here one time on a Sunday and we were singing this super rich hymn it was like, it was something like how deep the father's love. And there was this little precious girl. She was probably six years old. She was sitting right behind me. And she was just singing this song at the top of her lungs. And I was, I was losing it because I'm like, this is a little girl like being catechized by this hymn. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> you need both. You need an experience of God's love. If you never have an experience of the Holy Spirit, you're missing out on one of the joys of the Christian life. Amen? But it can't just be experiential. It's got to be connected to something concrete. And folks, that's what the Holy Spirit does. Did you know that there's a verse in the Bible where Jesus said, the Holy Spirit always brings glory to me. 
Did you know that's in the Bible? John 16, Jesus was teaching about the Holy Spirit. And he said, here's how you'll always know the Holy Spirit is at work in your heart. He just keeps directing attention to me. He's glorifying me. That's why theologians call the Holy Spirit the shy member of the Trinity, because he's like, don't, don't, don't pay, atten- pay attention to Jesus. And he just points your heart to truths about Jesus Christ. And you know what that means? So his main passion, every time you have an experience with the Holy Spirit, his main passion is to direct your heart to the glory of Christ. And that means he's never going to just give people experiences of the love of God by sort of skipping around the person of Christ or the work of Christ or the truth of Christ. He doesn't route you around Jesus and then give you an emotional experience that's, that never has anything to do with who Jesus Christ is. That's not how he works. He doesn't say, don't worry, you don't need to know about Jesus. You don't need to understand the cross. You don't need to know anything about the resurrection. Don't waste your time with annoying objective truths. Let me just give you a little buzz and we'll call it the love of God. (laughs) That's not how he does it. He says, I want you to know how much God loves you. And now I'm going to point you to the way that it gets proven Jesus Christ died on a cross for your sins and he rose again. This is so important. People can always have emotional experiences and sometimes those experiences feel really spiritual. But the problem is if all a person's having is emotional experiences, but Jesus is never in their minds as the son of the living God who died for human sin, eventually you would need to conclude that's not the Holy Spirit causing those experiences because the Spirit brings glory to Christ. Always. Now look at verse six, what I want to I show you in this verse. It's so interesting for Paul, when it comes to the death of Christ, Paul says the timing is Everything. It's all about the timing. Do you notice that little phrase? This, I want to I like relish in this phrase. At the right time, Christ died. Paul says it's all about the timing. Christ Jesus died at just the right time. You know those experiences in your life where something happens and it just happens right at the right time? And you go, oh man, that timing was impeccable. Perfect timing. That's what Paul's doing here. He's saying Jesus Christ didn't die a little too late. He didn't die a little bit too early. He died at a moment in time, both historically, but also, I'm going to argue in terms of the gospel, spiritually, he died at the perfect time. And you say, well, what, was, what were the ingredients of the right time? Well, look at the verse. Here's what Paul says. Do you notice it? While we were still weak, that means powerless. We couldn't do anything. We were completely powerless. That's the right time for Jesus to die. We were ungodly. 
This is the description of the human race, but it's also the description of the individual human being. Ungodly, you have no desire to know God or follow God. Paul says we were sinners. Right? Christ died for the ungodly, for one would scarcely die for a righteous person. But he died for us, verse 8, while we were still sinners. And then later, Paul says in verse 10, he says we were enemies of God. So we're enemies of God, sinners, ungodly, helpless. And you say, when should Jesus die? Right then. That's the right time. And what Paul's doing here, and he's making an argument that I want you to have this really clearly in your minds, okay? I'm going to put up verse 7 and show you, here's the way Paul is arguing. This is the logic, the logical Paul. Here's what he says in verse 7. He says, it would take an extremely loving person to die to save another person. Like they would have to be really loving. And it's super rare. In fact, the only time you'd probably ever do this as a human being would be if you were dying in the place of someone who was really noble or really good or they, they were righteous, where they sort of like were worth dying for. Maybe this is a person who's gracious, a person who's kind, someone who's you know, not very annoying. And no one wants to die for, uh, die for annoying people, right? And Paul's saying like, okay, that's my, that's my whole point. Is like in, in human economics, maybe, just maybe, you would die for someone who was worthy. But Paul's saying that, but that's, that's, that's not what I'm dealing with when I'm talking about the gospel. I was thinking this week how often in our movies, the theme of uh, self-sacrifice, sacrificial love shows up in movies. Have you ever thought about this? It shows up all the time. Our literature, our film, our stories, we cannot help but write into our, our movies and our films and our, our stories a moment where the lead, the hero of the story lays down her life for someone else or lays down his life for someone else. But have you ever noticed that in the movies, the person they're dying for is always an appealing character? Isn't that interesting? Titanic. Just think about the movie Titanic, all right? Yes, I'm going to talk about Titanic just for a second. Most annoying movie of all time. But anyway, Jack and Rose, right? The boat has sunk they're out there floating in the ocean. You know, the it's like the classic scene. They find one piece of driftwood for a time. They're both trying to stay on it, but Jack keeps slipping off. Jack keeps slipping off. And then finally, there's this moment, and you know as a viewer where it's going. Jack is just going to hang on to the side. He's going to make sure Rose stays on there. And, and you can see it in his eyes. He's like, I'm going to die. But he's looking up. And it's Kate Winslet. And who wouldn't want to die for Kate Winslet, right? <laughs> the British accent. She's like charming. She's nice. But now wait a minute. So this is my whole point. Now wait a minute. Imagine that now there's Jack. And when you look up, the most annoying movie character of all time is laying on the driftwood. So for me, it's Jar Jar Binks, okay? <laughs> Jar no one would die for Jar Jar Binks, all right? You would get on the raft, okay? But this is my point. I'm being funny, but what I'm actually trying to do is I'm trying to tell you, see, we read past this really quickly, 
And we completely forget what's actually happened in the gospel. Because now let me put up verse 8. See, the point is, Jesus died for me when I was the least appealing, the last person on the planet that anyone would want to die for. When I was broken, not just sinful, but actively ignoring God, God's enemy, helpless. And Jesus said, that's the right time. That's the time to die. That's the heart of the gospel. Paul is saying, and, he's, and I'm saying this now to you, you can know objectively and you can know beyond all shadow of a doubt that God loves you. He's crazy about you because Jesus died for you when you least deserved it. And the reason that matters, folks, this is why this matters, because life is really hard. And sometimes things don't go well. And sometimes you get hit with a mound of heartache or suffering or brokenness. Expectations that don't go your way. Things that fall apart. And if you're not careful, those experiences can become so big that they could cause you to begin to wonder, wait a minute, does God actually love me? And then if you weren't careful, you might be living your life with this insecurity. And Paul says, you need to know. God wants you to know. Why does this matter? It matters because God wants you to live with a deep confidence that your eternal future is secure. That's what he wants for you. That's what verses 9 through 11 are about. I'm going to read. I wish I had more time to deal with these, but will you just look now with them? Look with me, verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? Here's what Paul's doing in these two verses, and you can just look at them. He's, there's two things he's doing. He's moving from the present to the future. So he's saying, I'm going to talk first about present salvation, and then I'm going to point to future salvation. And then he's also, at the same time, he's moving from the difficult to the easy. Now, let me show you. Look at verse 8. Look at verse, excuse me, verse 9. Paul says, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood. That's present, that's present salvation. Paul's saying present salvation means being justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Now Paul's pointing forward to future salvation. And then he does the very same thing in verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son... Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? And he points forward. And here's what Paul's doing. It's a, it was a very common form of argumentation in Greek philosopher, philosophy where they would move from the difficult to the easy. They would say, if a person accomplishes all the stuff that's really difficult, 
You can count on them to finish up by doing the stuff that's easy. And what Paul says is, when it comes to your salvation, all of the really, really heavy lifting has already been done. You were justified by the blood of Christ. That was incredibly costly. While you were God's enemy, God reconciled him. You have peace with God even when you were his enemy. That was really hard to accomplish. It cost Jesus everything, his blood. And Paul says, it's just logic. He says, if God's already done all that, you can count on God at the, in, on, the, on the future day of salvation, the day of wrath. You can count on God to be faithful to bring you all the way into salvation. You can be assured. You can be assured. And then verse 11, look at this. He says, here's why this matters. He says, more than that, we also rejoice now in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Now Paul says, the reason this matters, the reason I want you to be assured of your salvation, the reason I want you to live with absolute confidence, God loves me, God has saved me, God has done all of the hardest things. I was justified by the blood of Christ. I've been reconciled to God. The reason is that little word right there in verse 11, the word rejoice. He says, if you know that, you will live your life rejoicing in God. Rejoicing. You know what's really interesting about that word rejoice? That's actually the word boast. It's the word boast. And if you remember in our study in Romans, Paul's been regularly saying, stop boasting. Stop boasting in things. Don't boast in this. Don't boast in that. And now suddenly, Paul says, oh, but wait a minute. There is one thing that Christians should boast in. Rejoice in. Boast in God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because he's reconciled you to God. I love this. Folks, when you have confidence, God loves me, you know what will happen? You will live a life where you constantly boast, just rejoicing. God, you've been so good to me. I cannot explain it. If you don't know for sure that you're loved by God, you won't live life like that. You won't rejoice in God. You'll constantly be wondering. Or if you think that you have to assure your own salvation throughout your Christian life, if you do boast, you'll boast in the things that you're doing to make sure that you're saved. But God says, you don't. Your salvation is secure. I already did all of the hard work. And what that does when you know it in your heart, you just live your life boasting in Christ hosting in God. God, you've been so good. So good. Paul says, I want that for you. I want that for you. Amen? Amen? Here's what I want to do. The most important thing we could do right now is pray about that. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come, and I'm going to ask you to take a posture of prayer. Will you just bow your heads for a moment? Because, Lord, what we're talking about here again, this is not a result of argumentation. No matter how much effort I extend in preaching, no matter how much we think deeply, 
The reality is we're dealing with something that's supernatural. This is something your spirit does. And so right now in this moment, we just, as a church family, we want to take a posture before you of humble trust, full submission. Friend, can I encourage you right now in this moment? Instead of me doing the praying right now for you, would you pray for yourself and for your neighbor and just say, God, would you, through your Holy Spirit, pour out your love right now in my heart? I need to know. I want to know how much you love me. Will you just make that your prayer throughout this time of worship? Thank you, Father. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the death of Jesus. Thank you for the resurrection of Christ. Proof of your love for us. We believe it. We receive it this morning. And we pray these things together in Jesus' name. Amen.